0: This sermon was recorded at Highway Mountain View in Mountain View, California. If you'd like to find out more about highway community, you can head to www.highway.org. And we are continuing our teaching series through Paul's letter to the Galatians, entitled Set Free to Live Free, where we're exploring what it means to live according to the freedom that comes from the transforming presence of God's Spirit in our lives. Now, as we've noted so far in our studies of Galatians, there were some Jewish Christian teachers in the churches that Paul had started in Galatia who were telling the Galatians that as a supplement to their faith in Jesus, they also needed to obey the Jewish law as well, and particularly the aspects of the law that distinguished Jews from Gentiles. Things like circumcision and the various dietary restrictions and the laws surrounding the Jewish calendar. And so Paul, we've seen, has been writing to reiterate the message that he had originally preached to them, which is that God's acceptance comes solely by grace through faith in Jesus and not by works of the law. God's acceptance comes solely by grace through faith in Jesus and not by works of of the law, Paul has been reiterating that message. And now, after moving through a series of theological arguments from the Old Testament Scriptures, we arrive at a major transition point in Paul's letter. But Jesus, Paul has been arguing, fulfilled the law through his death. And so the age of the law has passed, and Jesus now has ushered in a new age, which is the age of the Spirit. And this morning, we're going to see Paul transition to talk about what it means to actually live according to this new age, what it means to live lives that are rooted in the age of the Spirit. If you have your Bible with you this morning, you'd like to turn with me to Galatians, you'll find it almost at the very end of your Bible. It's tucked right between 2 Corinthians and Ephesians, being Galatians chapter 5. You're also welcome to follow along on the screens behind me as well. Galatians chapter 5. And chapter 5 begins with the verse that represents really the very essence, the very core of Paul's message. Look with me at Galatians 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So we see that Paul begins there in verse 1, by both looking back and also by looking forward. And on the one hand, verse 1 represents the culmination of Paul's arguments from the last section, which is that through Christ, the Galatians have been set free in the sense that they are no longer slaves of the law, which, given the reality of Jesus, is now behind them. And so in one sense... Paul's statement here at the beginning of Galatians 5 looks back to finish this argument that he's been making. But at the same time, if we look carefully, we see that verse 1 also looks forward as well. It also looks forward. Paul says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And that uh, definitely presents a different dimension to freedom Than I think we're used to thinking about as modern readers, and particularly a different dimension to freedom than we're used to thinking about as modern readers living in America. Robert Bella, who was one of the more prominent sociologists in the modern era, wrote this about freedom. He says, freedom is perhaps the most resonant, deeply held American value. In some ways, it defines the good in both personal and political life. Yet freedom turns out to mean being left alone by others, not having other people's values, ideas, or styles of life forced upon one, being free of arbitrary authority in work, family, and political life. What it is that one might do with that freedom is much more difficult for Americans to define. And so as Bella points out, interestingly enough and rightly so I think, as Americans, when we think of freedom, through our cultural lens and experience, we tend to think primarily of being free from something. We tend to think about independence. We think about being free from something and typically being free from something so that we can do whatever it is that we want, right, whatever it is that that is. But here in Galatians 5, we see that in Paul's economy, freedom isn't just about being free from the law. It isn't just about being free from the law. We're actually set free for something else. And Paul says here in Galatians 5 that it's for freedom. right? We are set free for freedom. So freedom from in Paul's universe is also freedom for or freedom to something else. And in the context of Galatians... It's freedom from the old age, the age of the law, to the new age, the age of the Spirit. And beginning in verse 2, we see Paul immediately applying that uh, to one of the pressing issues du jour in the Galatian churches, and that's circumcision. Take a look with me at Galatians chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 2 all the way through verse 12. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised... Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Signed, Paul. Very nice. Very nice sentiment there. So we see that Paul warns the Galatians here in these verses very directly in no uncertain terms that if they opt in to the teaching of the Jewish Christians and let themselves be circumcised, then Christ is of no value to them. And that's because for Paul, opting into circumcision ultimately means opting in to a whole different system. Paul says there in verse 3 that everyone who is circumcised is obligated to obey the entire law. And so it represents a reversion to the old age. And the language that Paul uses around this is unmistakably strong. He says in verse 4 You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ, you have fallen away from grace. And so we see that trying to be justified, or in other words, trying to become acceptable to God through the law, leads to alienation from Christ. Right? It's a definitive move for Paul away from grace. Because as Paul's been arguing throughout the letter, when circumcision or any aspect of the law gets added to the mix as a necessary part of faith, the significance of what God has done through Jesus and what that means for our acceptance completely changes because when the law is added acceptance suddenly is no longer about grace it's about performance instead right it becomes about doing things or not doing things in order to be accepted by God and that's why what was happening in these churches as a result of the teaching of these Jewish Christians was such a big deal for Paul. It represented a fundamental move away from the gospel that he had preached. A fundamental move away from the truth that the Galatians knew. A fundamental move away from the experience that they had had, along with Paul, of the Spirit coming in their midst. It was a reversion to the old age. Now, in contrast to the old age, Paul says in verse 5, For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. Through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. And not only does Paul remind the Galatians here that the Spirit is at the center of the new age, right? that the new age is defined by and empowered by the presence of the Spirit, but he also reminds them that, that righteousness or justification or acceptance comes through Righteousness comes through faith. And then we also see that there's a new priority in the new age as well. There's a new priority as well. Look at verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Yeah, there's definitely a sense in which I think what Paul says here sounds surprising, uh, given all the emphasis that he has placed on circumcision throughout the letter up to this point. But there's also a sense in which what Paul says here is not surprising as well, given the larger context of the letter. You know, Paul said back in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all, you, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so Paul describes there the new reality that exists in Christ with the coming of the Spirit. And at the very core of that is that acceptance and inclusion as children of God isn't defined by being Jew or Gentile, slave or free, Male or female, because Paul says in verse 28, you are all one in Christ. And now Paul is essentially applying that same principle to circumcision, right? Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision makes any difference, right? That is not what defines acceptance. It's not what defines inclusion. It's not what defines community in the New Age. Instead, we see at the end of verse 6 that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And so Paul reveals here that the age of the Spirit functions according to an entirely different ethic. The age of the Spirit functions according to an entirely different ethic. The mark of the community of God's people is faith expressing itself in love. The mark of the community of God's people is faith expressing itself in love. And so to live for freedom is to live a life of love. The Galatians have been set free from the law for love. And so for Paul, you know, the issue with circumcision in these churches isn't about circumcision actually being inherently bad. It's ultimately about the motivation. Right? It's about the fact that the Jewish Christian teachers were pressuring the Galatians into obeying the law as a means of acceptance and as a mark of inclusion as children of God. And the Galatians were responding to that. And that's where things had gone awry. Look at what Paul says in verse seven. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That image that Paul uses there of running a race feels particularly appropriate, I think, given the fact that the Summer Olympic Games in Rio are just a few weeks away now. Now, for me, when I think about the Summer Olympics, my mind immediately gravitates to 1984. Uh, I was 15 years old, really into sports. Uh, The games were being held in Los Angeles, so they were in the United States, and not just in the United States, but in the same time zone right down the freeway. Uh, there was comprehensive TV coverage. Uh, I was out of school. Uh, the only thing that I was doing was coaching at a soccer camp in the mornings. However, uh, we had a revolutionary piece of technology called a VCR. Uh, and so I could tape all the events that I was going to miss. Right. And so given all of those factors, I watched a lot of Olympics in 1984. Uh, Carl Lewis, you might remember, won four gold medals in the track in gold. Uh, Mary Lou Retton won the gold in the women's all-round gymnastics. All right, I have a yes in the second row. (laughs) Lots of memorable things. But one of the most memorable moments of those Olympic Games actually came during the final of the women's 3,000-meter race. Uh, Zola Budd, who ran barefooted, uh, was running right next to Mary Decker, side by side in a crowded space uh, when they collided. Uh, And the picture on the slide here will remind you of exactly what happened. Right, they collided, Mary Decker stumbled, she fell, and just like that, both her race and her aspirations for a gold medal uh, were gone in an instant. Uh, Zola Budd was initially disqualified for obstruction. Uh, She was initially disqualified for cutting in and causing Mary Decker to fall. But later, after further review, she was found not to be at fault. And so that charge was rescinded. But that is the image, actually, that Paul is using here. He's using the image of a runner cutting in on another runner in such a way that it makes that other runner stumble or fall altogether. Now, one reason that uh, Mary Decker's fall in the 1984 Olympics is such a memorable moment is because it's a fairly unusual occurrence uh, for something like that to happen in a major race. But in Paul's day, this kind of thing was actually much more prominent. And that's because in Paul's day, races didn't take place around oval tracks uh, with, uh, with conveniently and carefully distinguished lanes to keep the runners from running into each other. In Paul's day, runners would run races to a post that was out at a set distance. And they would run to the post, and then they would run back. And as they would get closer and closer to that post, if a runner cut in on someone as they were approaching the post. That could cause them to stumble or fall and lose their way. And that, Paul is saying, is effectively what the Jewish Christian teachers had done to the Galatians. The Galatians were doing well. They were running a good race. There was nothing in the way of them getting to their destination. And these teachers had cut in, and they had effectively tripped them up. Now, throughout Paul's letter, we've noted how frustrated and how angry he's been with the Galatians themselves. In chapter 1, Paul says that he's astonished by what's happening among the Galatians. In chapter 3, he calls them foolish, twice. In chapter 4, he says that he is perplexed about them. And then we've also repeatedly seen Paul's anger and frustration in the tone of the various rhetorical questions that he's asked the Galatians throughout the course of his letter. But we see here in chapter 5 that that all of that is nothing in comparison to the way that Paul feels about these teachers that have been pressuring the Galatians into circumcision. Look at what he says again in verse 12. As for those agitators, those are Paul's opponents, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. So there you go. That's Paul's way, using hyperbole, using bold exaggeration, of expressing the extent of his displeasure with these Jewish teachers. Now, as Paul continues on in chapter 5, he importantly provides both further clarification for us about what it means to be free, as well as further definition around what it means to live in love. Look with me at verse 13 of Galatians 5. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. We've talked a lot through the course of our series of the various issues that Paul had with the Jewish Christian teachers in these churches in Galatia. One of the issues that the Jewish Christian teachers actually had with Paul, one of the things that concerned them about the gospel that he preached and the freedom from the law that was a part of that, was that it was untethered. They feared that abandoning the law would lead to moral and ethical chaos, that it would lead to complete lawlessness. And so we see Paul addressing that here as he clarifies what it means to be free in verse 13. He says, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Literally, don't use your freedom as a base of operations for the flesh. Instead, we're set free, as we've seen, for love, which Paul further defines for us in that last phrase of verse 13. He says, rather... Serve one another humbly in love. Serve one another humbly in love. We are set free, Paul says, to live for love, and we love by serving one another humbly. That is what's supposed to define our relationships in the age of the Spirit. And the reason for that is because God's love is made visible when we serve others. One of the most powerful and profound ways that God's love is made visible is through service. And Jesus is the ultimate example of that. Over and over and over again, Jesus embodied God's love through service. We see it in his journey into the world that Jesus set aside everything, not the least of which was his divine nature and his divine authority in order to come in the form of a human and serve others in love. In John chapter 13, as he shared a final meal with his disciples, Jesus showed them the full extent of his love by taking the form of the lowest servant and washing the feet of his disciples as they shared that meal together. And then, of course, the ultimate expression of humble service was seen on the cross as Jesus gave his life out of love for humankind. And Jesus set the standard for serving others humbly in love. He set the standard for serving others humbly in love. And he instructed his disciples to do the same. In Mark chapter 10, when his disciples were arguing after two of them tried to secure preferred positions in God's kingdom, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so we see Jesus establishes an entirely new standard for greatness in these verses. The one who wants to become great must be a servant, and the one who wants to be first must be slave of all. And so greatness doesn't come from position and authority. Instead, it's seen and exemplified through humble service. And so it's not surprising here in Galatians 5 to see serving one another as the ethic that's supposed to guide our relationships and interactions with one another at every level and in every context. It's not surprising to see service here in Galatians 5 as the ethic that's supposed to guide our relationships and interactions with one another at every level. And in every context. And when we serve one another humbly, we live into the new age that Paul describes. When we serve one another, we set aside the categories and the distinctions that distinguish us from one another. When we serve one another, we set power aside in the form of status and position and authority. And we actually allow someone else's needs to be the priority. When we serve one another, we live out what it means to be an alternative community, a community that's oriented not around independence, but interdependence, and not around selfishness, but selflessness. Two weeks ago, we hosted 180 kids here at our campus for Vacation Bible School. And one of the things that I love the most about VBS is the way that our community comes together so broadly and so uniquely to serve our kids. This year, there were 95 volunteers helping make Vacation Bible School happen, 95 volunteers focused and aimed at serving our kids. And at VBS, as we come together to do that, it doesn't matter if you're a software engineer or a middle school student, or a human resources specialist, or a teacher, or a doctor, or a college student, or an entrepreneur, or a retiree. Right? When we serve and allow someone else's needs to be a priority, those distinctions fade in a very important and very real and very tangible sense. And God's love is made visible instead in a really beautiful way. The same thing is true when we serve someone through the community response team or when we open up our homes to an ESL student or when we serve in student ministries or when we travel to Honduras to serve alongside our brothers and sisters there. The presence of God's love and the presence of his spirit are made visible when we serve one another presence of God's love and the presence of his spirit are made visible when we serve one another. And we have been set free in order to participate in that. We've been set free in order to participate in that. Nick and the band are going to come and close us with a song this morning. You know, we enjoy, in our context, a tremendous amount of freedom. And if we're honest, we enjoy an amount of freedom that's so large we probably take a lot of it for granted. And yet, despite all of that, as Robert Bella noted in the quote that we looked at earlier, despite all of the freedom that we enjoy, it can often be a struggle for us to know what to do with it. And so as we sing together this morning, as we sing the Lord's Prayer together this morning, I want to invite you to ask God to give you a vision for freedom as Paul has defined it this morning. Ask God to give you a vision for freedom as Paul has defined it this morning. Ask Him to give you a vision serving others. And even more specifically, a vision for serving others as a way of life and not just as an activity. Ask him to give you a vision for serving others as a way of life. How might you use the freedom that you have? Whatever it is that that looks like, whatever form it takes, how might you use the freedom that you have to serve others humbly and make God's kingdom visible here. May his kingdom come. May his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we serve one another